All right, good afternoon. Good evening to everybody out here. And especially if you're out there listening on shortwave on WBCQ 7490, we welcome you. You're listening to Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio, shortwave, and other things uh, kind of in that category there. No telling what we might talk about tonight. Uh, anyway, we welcome you. And uh, also for our people that are tuned in to the video show tonight, uh, we welcome you and ask you, if you will, please hit that subscribe button. Uh, it's down there in the bottom right. Hit the subscribe button uh, and hit the, uh, hit the notify, hit that like button. It helps us to uh, advertise our show to other YouTube uh, people that are, you know, kind of surfing around YouTube looking for shows about electronics or radios and different things like that. Uh, so anyway, uh, do that. Uh, join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group is just W5KUB. Uh, and uh, just if you'll join it, uh, we'll approve you immediately. Just search for W5KUB and um, uh, you'll find us there. We've got about 14,000 uh, people in that Facebook group. It's a great Facebook group. Uh, man, we have not had any uh, spamming in there, really, or any you know shoe advertisements or Anything like that, like some of these other groups, they get bombarded with uh, and even stuff worse. So we're we're doing really good there. Uh, again, hey, if you're out there on WBCQ, send us an email to Tom at W5KUB, Tom at W5KUB.com. Let us know where you are and how you're hearing hearing the station tonight. Uh, relatively low power, about 50,000 watts, but uh, we should be getting out to uh, a number of uh, international locations. And... Again, we're on just about any uh, podcast carrier out there from iTunes, Google Play, iNet Radio, all those. You can hear this show uh, there. Uh, if you're at work or uh, driving, just uh, check us out on your your podcast uh, carrier that you use there. Uh, hey, tonight we've got several things we're going to be talking about. Antennas, we're going to be talking about, I think, grounding and bonding. Uh, I've got a few things here that uh, on my list here that I'll uh, mention, and uh, we'll uh, we'll get started here. Let's see. It seems like I'm forgetting something. I don't know what I'm forgetting here, but it'll it'll come around here. Oh, hey, we're not going to have a show. I think we we will not have a show. Uh, December twenty sixth is is that is Christmas on Monday? Is that right? Anybody? Okay. Uh, the day after Christmas, that Tuesday, we will not have the show. And also on January 2nd, we will not have the show. Uh, so um, we're going to take a break from that and uh, kind of enjoy the, the holidays there. And um, uh, we'll be back with you that next week uh, uh, there in January. Um Let's go around the room and say hello to our remotes out there. And looks like to me, looks like to me, we've got Brett up first. He's 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 there. Hey, Brett, there you are, man. How you doing, Brett? Oh well, I'm I'm not up right now, but you can see a picture behind me of me up on the tower um, earlier. Uh, this is me climbing the Tommy Tower to get uh, to get antennas ready for the winter. And I need to because it's going to be snowing this uh, this weekend. We're going to have a white Christmas. So oh, I've been doing that and also checking the grounding and the bonding, which I want to talk a little bit about tonight. All right. All right. Now, 
Your beard on the tower looks a little bit longer than it is now. What's going on there? Oh, is, yeah. Is well, that was... your winter beard that's on the tower? Or... No, that's, uh, oh, that was, this is, this, this picture actually <clears throat> was taken a little earlier in the year, although it's the same tower that I, that I climb about once a month. But it's, uh, yeah, this is, this, it's, uh, and also I'm in shadow a little bit up there, which is good because it's, uh, it was a very sunny day. But uh, yeah, that's the that's the tower where most of my antennas are. Well, I know you're going to talk about some grounding tonight, and you're talking about climbing a tower. Rich there in the chat room, he says grounding is when you fall off the tower. So that may be a different. You're not going to talk about that type, but uh, uh, that does happen, you know. So we got to be careful there. All right, well, let's. Uh, hey, Glenn, come on in here, Glenn. Come in, yeah. Glenn. Come in, Glenn. How you doing, Glenn? Come in, Glenn. Glenn. Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? All right. So, how you doing, man? You look happy tonight. You got a smile. Are you? Are you? Are you? Are you still working? Or are you out now? Uh, I'm out. Good. Temporarily, permanently, still waiting to decide on that. But uh, until further notice, I get to sleep in. And uh, that's nice. Yeah, it is. You know. For all intents, we can call it semi-retired. And uh, right now, uh, just today, I uh, heard from ARRL, and we're starting the editing process on my book for them. So when that starts, that usually means it's going to hit the printer. Oh, boy. You know, soon. You know, we're talking February, March, thereabouts. Maybe out in time yeah. for Orlando, but most likely we'll be out in time for Dayton. So the new book, everybody get your credit cards ready and, you know, it'll be out. All right. Well, you need to stop writing the books and do some hamming and, you know, have some fun. Oh, that's that's the plan. Yeah, okay. I've got the, right. the house painting is 99.9% .9 done. The weather's going to be good the rest of this week. And once that's done, it's fix the cobweb antenna and the shack's already ready to go. I just need to... Uh, tie down all the wires with some wire ties yeah and you know yes i plan to be on the air this winter so hey let me, let me just give you you know i've been retired now about 10 years let me give you some uh, uh some uh, maybe a hint or just give you some information about retiring you know you like to sleep late right you, you, you oh know, gosh yeah i'm, learning, I'm learning that i love right, sleeping here's in. what here's what you're not going to like when people knock on the door and ring the doorbell at eight o'clock in the morning, you ain't gonna like that, okay? Nobody comes to my house at that and, hour. And you know, you know, I don't know anything about your car right now, but you're gonna get a call about eight fifteen about your car insurance, okay? Oh yeah, you'll get that. All right, just wanted you to be aware. That's kind fortunately, of fortunately, most you know, I don't get a whole lot of phone calls, so yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> I don't really have a lot of those now i do get a ton of email yeah but generally my phone's it's a newer samsung and it's got this automatic feature that uh, i'm assuming that if it doesn't hear audio it goes into silent mode and it doesn't hit any alerts unless it's something really special <laughs> so i don't yeah. even get email notices until i wake up and make some noise or if the cat jumps on the bed and makes noise they've figured that out well other things to look forward to, I mean, I've already experienced this. Four o'clock in the morning, a 100-foot tree falls through the, your house. 
Oh yeah, that's your alarm. And happen. see, it's ice. It's ice outside. Everything's covered with ice. You're having an ice storm. A hundred foot tree falls through the roof of your house. Instantly, your alarm goes off. Woo! Oh yeah. Woo, woo. Oh yeah. That's you hear coming. this? You hear this explosion? It knocks you out of bed at four o'clock in the morning, and you think, "Oh man, did my water heater explode? What happened?" You know. That so, actually happened about twenty years ago. Well, my neighbor's sassafras tree fell over in the wind and literally fell into my pool. And we're talking about 40, 50 feet worth of tree. Well, you, you know, it happened to me too. I've had several come down here yeah. and uh, um, it's, it's no fun. I had to replace the driveway. I had to replace yeah. the garage doors, replace the roof, uh, replace a lot of stuff actually. But you know, hey, wow, that's, that's enough. Hey, yeah, let's, go out, let's go out to California. Let's see what... Uh, Let's see what Jim's doing out there. Uh, Jim, you had a tree fall through your house ever? No. Go on in, Jim. All no, right. I haven't. Um, we had other stuff happen, but not that. <laughs> so good evening from Rockland, California. Rockland. Rockland, yeah, R-O-C-K-L-I-N. Now, where is that? Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. It's uh, east of Sacramento. Okay. Uh, about a 15 to 20 minute drive next big city over that's known by more people than rockland is called roseville and uh a lot of industry here a lot of big name companies office buildings that kind of stuff so it's a, a highly developed area um and uh, there's some dirt that hasn't yet been built on and uh stuff is in the works to build multiple houses so uh, we're going to see a growth in traffic which is already kind of bad anyway so anyway well you know you know we're, we're, we're talking about trees and stuff falling into the house i don't you i don't think you have that problem but one of the things you got to look forward to is when this earthquake breaks california yeah. off and you guys float out into the ocean <clears throat> i've i've wondered when that's going to happen because uh, we're overdue for something like that and uh, the 1971 earthquake was really bad destroyed a lot of big buildings if it happens again it's i think it's going to be worse yeah yeah but you're going to have beachfront property if that happens yeah yeah boy well that's something to look forward to i guess all right <laughs> uh, all not right. really all right well hey you know all right we'll get started here in just a minute uh, on some of the subjects that we talk about. Hey, I want to show you guys something, man. I can't. I, do you guys like taking your car to the dealer? Glenn, do you ever take your car to the dealer for anything? Um, I think I would rather have a root canal without yeah, anesthesia. Yeah, maybe a colonoscopy or yeah, know, something like yeah, that. But you know, something like that. Guys, let me tell you. You know, so uh, let me tell you a little quick story here. It's, it's kind of <laughs> electronics uh, related. So. Kathy's backup camera in her car stopped working. Well, I've been in electronics and design and troubleshooting all my life. But let me tell you, on, on a modern car, you can't trace nothing. They got every wire. They got 800 wires bundled. They got them going through pieces of metal that you can't even know where they're going to. You don't know what modules do what. There's 14 well, that's the computers. Other thing. They've got that CAN bus, and everything ties to that bus. So Let me tell you. Okay, so her camera stopped working. I, I pulled the camera out. The camera looked okay to me, and I put it back in. But 
we checked for fuses. We checked for different things, but, you know, it just, just wasn't working. So I said, okay. Well, in a place that normally does maintenance on a car, of course, they wouldn't touch it because it's, a, it's an oddity working on the camera, you know. Automotive shops just don't work on cameras. And I told her, I said, even the dealer isn't going to know what's going on with this thing. They, they probably get one out of a million of these. So anyway, so, so the, we don't have any resort, but, you know, take it to the dealer. And uh, so the dealer takes it and uh, looks at it and tells me that the the kryptonite paraphase thunderbolt grease slapper is bad. All right. So Say it again. The kryptonite paraphase thunderbolt grease slapper. Could you spell that? I, I'm uh, not sure what that is. Uh, C-Y-R. That's that's okay. Uh, yeah, you can yeah. send, I, okay. send it to me in an email. Yeah, yeah in a Toyota, they so, call that the flux capacitor. Right. Yeah, the, well, the flux capacitor was the next stage. Wow. Now, so anyway, so so they they say okay, uh, they say okay, uh, yeah, it's uh, that's bad. And uh, in fact, I've got it here in my hand. Let me show you what it is. There you go. There's the Kryptonite Paris phase Thunderbolt Grusher Slapper right there. You see it right there, guys. A little card oh right yeah, that's that's all fluxed up. You see that right there? Yeah. Now, uh, Glenn, what do you think is car? What do you think is a little card cost? Um, what make is the car? It's a Volvo. Oh, a Volvo. Oh yeah. shoot, you're you're probably talking thirteen hundred bucks. What do you think, Brent? Mm. Anybody? Three hundred. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Made me laugh. Oh, uh, guys. So they tell me, all right. For, first of all, it's going to cost one hundred and seventy-five dollars just to look at look at it. That's that's a given. They call me and they tell me, okay, this car is uh, eleven hundred eighty-three dollars. All right, eleven hundred eighty-three dollars. And uh, do I approve it? I said, well, if that's, is that going to fix it? Well, it could be more than this, but we we think this is bad. We got to put this in. And I said, are you telling me that I've got to pay $1,200 for a car and it may not fix it? And I have to pay this? And they said, well, yeah. But, you know, they don't have any way to test this stuff. Although I would think a reputable dealer would have something like that maybe in stock and try it. And, hey, if it, if it don't fix it, you put it back in stock and you, you use it to troubleshoot the next car, right? Well, anyway. All right. So, so uh, $1,180. All right. And if this didn't fix it, my option was going to be leave there paying about a $1,400 bill with this new card and not having my camera working. Or I could roll the dice and maybe the next in line $1,200 card might fix it. Would you, would you roll the dice or not, man? I mean, you know, I don't know. So anyway. Tell your wife not to back up. Yeah, yeah. I always park where you can go, you know, always look for a pull through. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, anyway, so here we go. 175 to, uh, to, to troubleshoot it. $1,280 for the card, $150 to put the card in. And I don't know. I, so I don't know. The bill was like 1300 or something, but it did fix it. It did fix it. And I'm thinking, oh man, what a relief it is, man. Just like Alka-Seltzer, man. What a relief. Yeah, but that's part of the issue is the 
troubleshooting skills of modern mechanics don't extend to digital and and these integrated circuit boards they're you know they're old school spark plugs and you know spark plug wires that kind of stuff you know i don't know if you can see it i didn't didn't get a really good picture i tried to zoom in here if you look real close there's a lot of corrosion on this side of that card yeah look at the top and see a big chip with all the pins on it look to the top right corner you're starting to see corrosion all up in that area and over toward the center yeah i mean it is it's a lot of stuff going on here i don't know what caused that where in the car that is the it, uh, yeah yeah you tell me where is it uh they told me it's in the trunk area so i hmm. i said where is it Are we in the wall is it in the you know fender wall or where in, or is it under the the floor of the the the, the uh the trunk and the lady told me she said it's, it's probably under the under the, the floor of the trunk there you know so well, you, know, you also have to remember with the car, you know, it that trunk is getting heated and cooled, and it's you know, it's gonna it's gonna cr- condensate and stuff like that all the time. Well, now they they did tell enough. me they did tell me, hey, I got a lifetime warranty on this car. I got a lifetime. If, if it's not go. if it's not wrecked or put underwater, I got a well, lifetime. Wait a minute, shouldn't you have had a lifetime warranty on the first car? I got. I, yeah, well, I I didn't ask them that. I've just. I just left, you know, man. <laughs> I man. would have done the same thing, man. I wanted out. Get me away from here. Yeah, yeah, man. Anyway, oh, so that's my that's my story tonight, and I'm sticking to it, guys. Yeah. Um, wow. All right. Well, hey, uh, let's uh, let's jump over to let's jump over to Jim, and Jim has a video he's put together about three different antennas, and how they work i guess so jim come on back in here and i've got your i've got your video queued up here i think and i can play the video when you get ready okay i did unmute okay yeah it's um uh sort of a continuation of a prior video and how does the voltage and current uh, distribute on a half wave antenna and what's the difference between an in fed off center fed and center fed what how does that change the way that the uh, current and voltage appear on the antenna and so i did my best to draw this grant this animation and I, i'm no animator um and it's not great but i'm trying to show uh where the maximum current is and where the maximum voltage is and how it uh because it's an alternating current right it's ac how it uh uh, appears on on the antenna. Unfortunately, we can't look through something and and see it, so we have to depend on um, animations like I drew. Tom, if you want to run that, I think right. the whole video is uh, five or six minutes long, and I uploaded yep. it to YouTube. All right, we've got it going right now. Well, let's see here. Hi, I'm Jim W6LG, your ham radio Elmer. Welcome to my radio room here in Rockland, California. A half-wave antenna could be a dipole, could be an off-center-fed dipole, could be an end-fed antenna. Uh, is there much difference between those three antennas? I prepared an animation. It's not perfect, but it'll help uh, show what I think happens with a half-wave antenna. So let's talk about that after we watch the brief animation. It's only, I think, a minute and a half long. So here we go. An animation showing a half-wave antenna. 
This is the first of three animations that I drew showing a half-wave antenna. As shown, this is a half-wave dipole being fed in the middle where the highest current occurs, also the greatest radiation, and the lowest impedance. Impedance would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30 to 70 ohms, depending on its configuration and its height above ground. Greatest voltage is at the ends of the wire. It's also the highest impedance. It's also the location of the least radiation. Greatest radiation occurs in the middle. If we slide the feed point to the left, it becomes an end-fed half-wave antenna. No counterpoise is needed. Doesn't need any kind of radials. It's a complete antenna. High current is in the middle. Highest voltage is at the ends. Highest voltage occurs at the feed point have an impedance somewhere in the neighborhood of 5,000 ohms or so. If we slide it over just a bit, we can drop that impedance to maybe 2,500 ohms, and this becomes an off-center fed dipole. Everything remains the same. The highest radiation occurs in the middle of the wire. The highest current occurs in the middle of the wire. The impedance at this point, as I said, is around 2,500 ohms. And again, no counterpoise is needed. No radios are needed. Let's take a look at those uh, animations. In particular, we're going to take a quick look at three still pictures from that I grabbed from the uh, uh, from the video. So let me put that up on the screen now. Um, this was the first one, the uh, regular dipole center fed. Works great. It's a terrific antenna. Uh, you can get a pretty good prediction of where the pattern is going to go. Um, it's also the basis for many, many antennas. For example, my Yagi antenna basically looks a lot like a dipole in the center, and it has a reflector and a uh, director. So basically, it is like three dipole elements. Um, as we look at this, high currents in the middle, uh, as is the feed point, the um, high current or rather the high voltages on the tips of the wire. If this was a vertical uh, or was configured uh, with a 90 degree bend right at the feed point and it was sitting on the ground or maybe a few feet off the ground, um, again, the high point, the uh, high voltage point would be the top of the vertical and the end of the radials. Um, maximum radiation does occur in the middle. Uh, this would do the same with uh, a vertical. Okay, let's look at one other picture here. So that's brief view of uh, a standard half-wave dipole. Okay, this uh, animation is... Uh, okay, this frame from the animation shows, again, the high voltage, high current, maximum radiation, all in the same place. All we do is move the feed point down the wire, either from the uh, center out to a point where the impedance is somewhere around a couple thousand ohms. Um, again, it's a predictable antenna. Uh, if one leg was cut for, I don't know, pick a band, uh, let's say 20 meters and the other leg for 40, um, it might give you 40, 20, and 15 all with one wire. It's a terrific antenna for that. It does, has some neat tricks that can be done. Again, the high voltage is on the tips. Um, a little bit more difficult to feed as we get closer to the 
end of this wire, uh, the uh, feeding of the antenna, the connecting of a coax, requires some uh, work. Uh, in this case, the impedance of the antenna would be around a couple thousand ohms, so it would have to have some kind of transformation to make a good connection to uh, coax, for example. And this is uh, clearly the most popular antenna today. Uh, can be used on POTA. Um, can be used in the backyard. Can be used in an apartment. It's an end-fed half-wavelength antenna. Again, the current distribution is the same. The maximum radiation is at the same spot. The impedance at the end can be several thousand ohms. By that, I mean five, six thousand ohms, depending on how you're hooking it up and what you're doing with it. But um, it's a predictable antenna. Uh, many like it. Again, you don't need to have radials because this is a complete antenna. No radials are needed, no counterpoise. I'm Jim, W6LG in Rockland, California. Thanks for joining me. If you haven't subscribed, please subscribe, 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 subscribe. Thumbs up, thumbs down, thumbs whatever. I'm Jim, W6LG saying 73. See you the next time. Bye-bye. All right, so we looked at a couple, two or three different antennas there. And, uh, you know, Jim and I were talking before the show. When we were novices back in the early 60s, we didn't even know what a, a off-center fed was or that nobody was even using that we knew of what was called an in-fed half-wave. That, that might have been great for us because we were stuck with a single-band dipole or something. Exactly. I was that way. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm contemplating right now. I don't have an, uh, well, I do have some in-fed antennas up, but they're verticals, and they're in-fed. Uh, I'm contemplating whether to put up a, you know, a horizontal in-fed or, or, or not. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about yeah. the impedance of the antenna, because a couple of comments were that I misspoke on the impedance. Um, not really. It depends on where you're feeding it. So. As you slide that feed point over towards the end, the impedance gets higher and higher and higher. And technically at the very end, it's, so, it's infinity. Uh, so a lot of people will bring that in a bit to where it's 2,400 ohms or uh, some number that works. So uh, don't get hung up on the diagram about where the placement of the coax was. I'm just making the point is the impedance changes as you slide that feed point down. It goes very, very high. And then it becomes a little bit more difficult to uh, to feed the antenna. You're dealing with really high voltages. Uh, you're dealing with perhaps some heat also. So uh, those things need to be considered if you're going to make an in-fed half-wave. I've seen YouTube videos from folks who get around, and some of them recommend putting radials on the ground, just laying out wires. That has no impact on a dipole that's up in the air. Um, and if you stick, others recommend a, like a 20-foot piece of wire coming off the other end at the feed point. Well, then that's no longer an in-fed half-wave. It's an off-center fed dipole at that point. Uh, and some recommend taking that counterpoise and running it to ground into a driven stake. That makes no sense to me at all because, again, it's a dipole. And you want the dipole up in the air to radiate, not tied to ground. Um, 
Brett's going to talk about grounding. I don't think that that's in the scheme of things that Brett's going to talk about. Yeah. You know, one of the things I would like, I've been thinking about doing, Jim, is I would love to get uh, a couple tape measures and use the tape for the uh, the wire, the element, you know, the like a dipole. Uh, take two tape measures, feed it with some coax, hook it to an antenna uh, analyzer, and just slide that tape, you know, to the left or to the right. Yeah, yeah. slide it. This to one's the, broken. This one's broken. That's why I've hung on. Slide it, it to the I'm right gonna... or left and watch that impedance go up and down. You know, and as you get yeah. to, you know. Uh, as you get to the uh, in uh, well off center fed, you're going to see it up to like 200 ohms or something. And yeah, I think this neat. one's 30 30 feet. It's broken, so uh, this is perfect for that uh, that kind of dipole uh, where you can slide it and and look at it with one of the analyzers. So there's uh, there's several ways to uh, to match that. Uh, the 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 best way right now, uh, of course, is with you know, with a, uh, a toroidal uh, ring, you know, a ballon uh, that you can wind. Uh, again, like uh, Brett was saying, 49 to 1 is what you need for a off-center fed. Uh, for a half-wave, for a half-wave. Um, for an in-fed. Yeah. In-fed, a half-wave, you need a, a, a 49 to 1. Depend well, it depends on the length of the wire. Well, so, about a half wave. I'm saying a half wave. It needs to be a 49 to 1. But if it's a random link in fit, then it, you need a, a 9 to 1 balance to, to match that. Yeah. On my Yagi, because my Yagi basically is a dipole. The driven yeah. element's a dipole yeah. element. So I get it up in the air, and I test it, and the impedance is, is wrong. It's not matched. So I used a hairpin match on that with a slide, and I moved it back and mm -hmm. forth until I got it to about where I wanted it, where um, I had a little reactants, and it was close to 50 ohms, and called it a day, and it's it stayed that way. Well, There's lots of ways to match antennas. Yeah, and, yeah, and you had um, you talked about the, the high voltage uh, on the ends there. Uh, uh, in my experimenting uh, with my uh, in-fed, I've got an in-fed in halfway vertical out there. I've got an in-fed um, three-eighths wavelength out there where I use toroids and mm -hmm. uh, to match. But uh, you can match that with a, a quarter-wave piece of open line, you know, your 300-ohm open line. And uh, uh, so I, I did that. Yeah, I put the quarter-wave open line out there, and I had it, you know, it was it was off the ground, maybe, maybe a foot off the ground. I had some little stakes sticking up, and the, the matching went kind of sideways down there. I came in and man, it had a perfect match. You know, it had a, a beautiful match using that. And I went back out there and looked at it and uh, the uh, matching line, the open line had actually caught on fire and it was dripping. It was dripping out there in the flowers, little balls of uh, fire. So, uh, so I made me some uh, open line I uh, made me some little six-inch spacers with some really small PVC pipe and just some number number 12 or number 14 wire and uh, put that out there. And I didn't have any trouble anymore. So, uh, man, there is a really high voltage there on the ends, believe me. Yeah, it's uh, and, and a lot of people don't know that. And you, you've got to be careful about uh, – you need to know about that. that it, yeah. it possibly could get not just warm but hot. Oh yeah. Um, it's also a good idea to have a choke on it to make sure that none of that comes back at you down the feed line. 
Um, Absolutely. You want to put ferrites on it or wind yourself in air choke several turns in the coax. Well, and I did a lot of studying on on that particular thing. And like Jim was saying, you know, some people say you need a, you need a uh, a counterpoise and some people say the coax is the counterpoise and all different things. But uh, in reality, uh, there's uh, some engineering papers done on this and uh, they showed that uh, I think it was 0.06 lambda lambda or 0.06 wavelength uh, which was I don't know on 40 meters it was like six feet or something and uh, so on your coax speed about six feet back or whatever 0.05 wavelength would be uh, about 0.05 wavelength back they put that choke like uh, uh, Brent's talking about and that really made that antenna function really well and I think what it was using, it was using that, that short six-foot piece in there. That was optimum, you know, to get this thing working. But there's so much going on with these antennas, guys. You know, uh, the type of ground you have, uh, surroundings and things, uh, you know, man. I want to make one more point. Yeah. And, uh, it, it, first of all, get out and do it. But... Uh, Get it up in the air, whether it's perfect or not. Get on the air with it. Have some fun. So maybe it's not the perfect NFED, or maybe it's not the perfect dipole. When uh, Tom and I are ancient, and when we started out, the antenna of choice was an inverted V. Um, right, Glenn? And uh, so get on the air. Do it. Put it up. Have some fun. Don't sweat the little details. Do the best you can. Get it up. Well, and, and that, that, that's exactly right. Get your piece of wire up in the air. And hey, back then, we didn't even have an SWR meter. We didn't even exactly. know what SWR <laughs> was. We didn't know what it was. No, I, no idea. Not a we, clue. But guess what, guys? We we put a wire in the air and we talked to people on it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the rule of thumb for me and for most people was, hey, if it's three to one or better, you're gold. Go for it. Don't, well, don't sweat yeah, this yeah. 1.5 versus 1.6 to 1 SWR. Just go. Yeah, because your transmitter had uh, a pine network in it. Yeah. And, and you, you could match anything with it pretty much. Yeah. Well, you... antennas are fun to build and experiment with. And, uh, you know, I, I've got so many wire antennas out there, guys. A, a bird can't fly through my yard, you know. I mean, you know, you run the. I, I try to run my antennas mostly north and south because the lobes, the lobes are more east and west, you know, on a on a dipole like that. But hey, if I want to cover north and south, maybe I ought to run me another dipole uh, east and west. I mean, there's all kinds of things to do there. Uh, I antenna experimenting and playing with is is a lot of fun and it's easy to do and it's almost no cost. I've always wanted, and I tried again this past week, to look at some modeling. You know, the the EZ NEC models or the four NEC2 models. Let me tell you guys, those things are so complicated. I, I Either I'm getting too old. I, I went through a video and watched the guy. He said what to do where. And, uh, man, it's like going through a minefield trying to set that EZ uh, NEC uh, antenna modeling up. So... If there's anybody out there, including you co-host or anybody out there in the chat room, that you're good, well, let's say great, with uh, the modeling programs, I'd love to have you come on here and run some models for us and show us how that works. So, oh, man, 
I just I I've, gave it up. I've got a guy in our club that does that, but it's well above my pay grade. I gave it up, man. Uh, you know, I have I have tried it and found that it didn't correspond to reality because uh, environmental conditions, metal objects in the area, completely yeah. threw things off. And so I just went to what I'm a fan of now, which is using a remote tuner right yep. there at the, the feed line to match whatever it turns out to be, because then you just don't, you don't need to worry. Um, you don't, it, it, you don't. I talked to a guy, I, I don't remember where he was, but let's just say more than one guy will say, well, I've got a mountain near me and I, uh, I think it's going to ruin. You got a 30 degree takeoff angle. That mountain's not in the way. Put up an antenna, get on the air, stop. Don't take this the wrong way, but don't make excuses. Go to it. Get it up. See if it works. If you got it north and south and you're not happy, put up another one east and west and see what's going on. Um, it's 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 too, You're missing out on too much fun, you know, HF, at, especially you know, now on 10 our, our play, Hey, HF will get out, guys. Our, at our place over in North Carolina, our house is built right on the side of a mountain. It goes up behind a house. And then not too far, I'd say a quarter of a mile or more out the front, there's a little creek right there. And then another mountain that goes up, I mean, just really high. But, hey, I make all kinds of contacts here on HF. I can go to any band, and, man, you know, it's, they're jumping. So, you know, hey, put your piece of wire in the air, and it'll work, you know. The thing about it, you're not going to see where it's going. You're not going to see it. You know, you might look at some of these. Some of these programs are interesting. Like, is it uh, PSK Reporter? And some of those programs, it'll actually pick your signal up and it'll it'll draw you a map and report to. And a lot of times, uh, and that's not to people you're talking to. That's just it's just a report that says your signal was heard here. And I've seen people that uh, use that, and they might have. Well, you know, they may have hundreds of contacts to the north and to the east and to the south, and maybe just a fewer contacts toward the Midwest, maybe some contacts toward uh, California. But you got to think about it. There ain't anybody out in the Midwest. I mean, you know, there's, there's one person every 500 miles out there. There are very few hams out there. So, uh, you know, the population areas the northeast and southeast and, you know, from the what Mississippi River to the east—that's where most of your uh, your your. I'd like to make are. one more point, not, um, it, and that is, if you have the opportunity, engage the person that, that you've made contact with in a conversation. Um, now, some DX stations are just going to say five now and move on to the next one, but um, there was a guy who worked just a couple of days ago, seven Q six M in Malawi, I've forgotten his name. Anyway, I heard him testing and he was trying to fix his transceiver and that was long path that I worked in. And uh, I engaged him in a conversation and son of a gun, he grew up one block from me in Burbank, California. <laughs> and here's here's a guy in Malawi mm -hmm. on the long path and he was about 10 years, young, uh, 10 years younger than I. So um, he, I, I missed him at school, and when he got a Sam radio license, I had already uh, ventured away from, uh, I had graduated from the university. But I, I was talking to him, I, I asked him where he grew up, and because he had a California accent. And uh, he said Burbank, and I just about fell out of my chair, and he said, 
the street he was on, it was the next street over from where I grew up. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. You run into people like that all the time. You know, you just, yeah, it's amazing. It's, it is. Yeah. All world. All right. Well, hey, this, this has been fun talking about antennas, guys. Just throw you some wire up out there and try it, man. You know, you'll, uh, you'll make some contacts, believe me. All right. Hey, Jim, thanks for uh, putting that together for us. And, uh, we really appreciate it, dear. Uh, hey, guys, let me uh, let me jump back to just another quick announcement here real quick, and you guys don't go away. Uh, let me see where I'm, where I'm right here. Um, I'm looking. Oh, okay. I still haven't heard. No one has found me an All-American 5 radio yet. I need an All-American 5 radio. I guess I could go down to Salvation Army or Goodwill and... There'd probably be one in there on the shelf I could get for five bucks, but uh, I need an all-American radio, all-American five. There's millions of these things built. We're going to convert this to a broadcast transmitter with no extra parts, and uh, I'll send it back to you when we get through. It's just going to be a project for the show, uh, an all-American five, and uh, give it to your kids, give it to the neighborhood kids, and let them put their own radio station on. The one I'm looking for has the uh, miniature tubes in it, like you see here. The little seven-pin miniature tubes like the 50C5 and the 35W4. That's the two tall tubes right there. Uh, uh, not really interested in the, uh, uh, the I think they're Loctal tubes. They're the eight-pin, I think they're Loctal uh, or, or Octal. I forget which ones. Uh, but uh, I'm interested in the seven-pin miniature tubes like this. So, guys, if you can find a radio like this, find it. I'll pay the shipping. Just find me one. And uh, let me get it. It'd, it'd be nice if it's working because I don't have any, I don't have any tubes anymore to repair it. Uh, so it needs to be in working condition here. So I need an All American Five radio. They're, they come in many different brands. There you go. That's a 50 C five and thirty five W four. Fifty C five is audio output. Thirty five W four is the rectifier. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That just shows you how old I am. Yeah, yeah. And I don't remember <laughs> yeah, that, the other. There's 12, 12BA6, 12BE6, and was there a 12? 12BE6. Was there a 12AV6? I don't remember the three small ones, but. Uh, well, there were, two, there were some audio tubes in there, so yeah, there's one of those. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right, guys. Let's see. I don't remember what band. see. Yeah, I'm sure Martin's got a couple down his, but Martin collects things. I don't want to take a collector uh, radio and, and 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 trash it. So I'll have to. I'll go to. Uh, I'll go to Salvation Army and go in and see what. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I I look at Facebook a lot of times, and guys are buy are getting. They're picking up shortwave receivers, really nice shortwave receivers, at places like Salvation Army. I don't know if my place here would have anything like that, but. There's some good finds. It's, it's worth taking a trip. There's some good finds on radios like that, you know. So I'll uh, I'll look at that and see. Okay. All right. Hey, guys, we'll be back in just a minute. Don't go away. Um, we've got Brett coming up here. We're going to talk about maybe some uh, grounding and bonding. We'll be right back. For the outdoor ham who loves POTA and soda activations, these radios would be great to put on your Christmas list. The IC905 and IC7300 are your top choices. Explore the world of microwave with ICOM's new SHF Portable, the IC905. This all-mode rig covers 2 meters, 70 centimeters, 1.2 gigahertz, 
2.4 gigahertz, 5.6 gigahertz bands, and with the optional CX-10G transverter, it'll cover 10 gigahertz. It has a large 4.3 inch touchscreen, real-time high-speed spectrum scope and uh, waterfall display, easy digital mode settings, high-performance GPS antennas, and it has full D-Star functions. The IC7300 is a high-performance, innovative HF transceiver with a compact design that will far exceed expectations. This innovative HF transceiver digitizes RF before various receiver stages, reducing the generated inherent noise in different IF stages. This is a radio that changed the way entry-level HF is designed. It has a 4.3-inch touchscreen, real-time spectrum scope, and 15 discrete bandpass filters. Visit www.icomamerica.com for more information on ICOM radios. All right, we are back. I'll turn the echo off here. All right, we're back. Um, let's see. Boy, something was on my mind. I was going to mention it to you there. Oh, uh, what I was going to mention to you guys is, of course, we all know that Christmas is coming up here real soon. And uh, I, we got a few Christmas pictures here. Look at there. Man, there's Santa Claus right there. What kind of radios? Anybody recognize the radios there? I don't know if some of those are vintage or if they're all new. I can't tell. Oh, there's an old Kenwood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the bottom one on the left? Anybody recognize that? don't know what oh. that is. Has the look of an atlas. Yeah, it does. It kind of, kind of does. That looks like it might be a scanner up on the top there, on the top right. I don't. Yeah. Know. Let's see. Well, oh, man, what is this thing? I don't know. What I don't recognize that, I don't that one. That must be a home brew rig, right, right there. Uh, yes. Yeah. Now we had Santa at our uh, club dinner the other day. Oh, did you? And, uh, oh yeah, man. I hopped in his lap and asked for all kinds of stuff. All right. Well, uh, yeah, he, he looked at me and said, "Coal, buddy. Coal." Look here, man. Well, how would you like a Lego set, man? You get you a Lego yeah. set for ham radio right there. That'd be kind of cool, right That'd there. That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. And then uh, there we go. Um, there's Santa sending, and the the kids receiving him. It looks like on a crystal set. Hmm. All right. Uh, so let me make an announcement here again, real quick. Uh, uh, you are listening to. Uh, Amateur Radio Roundtable, a show about ham radio, shortwave electronics. We're coming to you uh, from uh, a location near Memphis, Tennessee. And if you're listening out there in WBCQ 7490, we uh, wish you, uh, uh, we hope you're getting the signal good. And hey, shoot us an email, tom at w5kub.com. Let us know where you are and give us a signal report there. Uh, tune us in on any of the uh, uh, the uh, podcast carriers out there, iNet, Google Play, iTunes, any of those out there. Join our Facebook group. It's called W5KUB. Just W5KUB. Actually, you could type in Amateur Radio Roundtable, but that's too long to type in. So uh, do that, and let's see what else. Oh, uh, hey, hit that subscribe button. Hit the subscribe button, if you will. Uh, that will help us to advertise the, the channel here. Be sure and go to... Uh, uh, Jim's uh, YouTube channel. I think if you just do a, a search on YouTube and just go to W6LG, uh, it'll take you right there. That's how I get there. So uh, be sure to go there and uh, subscribe there. Uh, that would be uh, great if you do that. Um, let's see what's going on in the chat room. 
don't see anything you need to comment on yet. Oh, that uh, there's a modeling software called MMANA-GAL. Never heard of it. Don is saying that uh, uh, DX Commander uses that some, and uh, we might look into that and see because something's got to be simpler than you know. And like Brett was saying, hey, you know, even if we could plot it, I'm not sure even if I plotted uh, an antenna with the modeling software, if I would even uh, think it was correct or right or wrong or who, who knows. You know, there, there are so many variables that you need to put in there that maybe aren't even being put into the model. So I don't know. Uh, let's see. We talked about the All-American 5, talked about modeling. Um, hey, let me give you a report on W5KB113. I'm getting a little concerned about 113, guys. Uh, if you guys remember, uh, if you guys remember our W5KB112 uh, stopped talking to us right at the one-year mark, and uh, uh, it had trouble from the day from day one with transmissions. They were getting less and less each day. Uh, we don't know what happened. We think we had some software issues on the processor. Um, we very possibly might have lost half the antenna. You know, the antenna, the 20-meter antenna, uh, 17 and a half feet of that antenna is hanging below the uh, the uh, tracker. And when when you lose half that antenna, I did just did some testing out here. When you lose half the antenna, it will still get out, but a whole lot less people receive the signal. And it was getting where we would only get maybe a report one. And it transmits every 10 minutes. And used to, we would get hundreds of reports every day, every 10 minutes throughout the day. But it was getting where we might only get one or two reports during the day. And then it was getting where, okay, we might not hear from it for two days. And then we'd get one report, and then we wouldn't hear from it for four days. Then we'd hear one report. So it's starting to concern me, W5KUB113 uh, is starting to do about the same thing. Now, it has been up uh, 432 days now, and there it is right there off the coast of, uh, what is it, Baja, California, I guess, off the coast of Mexico. And uh, we've still got a good altitude, around 47,000 feet. But guys... We got one transmission from that today, and the, the total 10 hours of sunlight, we only got one transmission. It came in about 10 a.m. during the sunlight, about 10 a.m., and we didn't get any more, uh, any more messages. So I don't know what's going on there, and, and we only got about three or four people picking this whisper up. I think one in, one in uh, Hawaii picked it up, and maybe three people in California picked it up. So I don't know what's going on here. I don't know if the tracker, again, this is the second one now. After about a year, we're starting to see some problems. So I don't know if the uh, tracker is starting to wear out after about a year or if the antenna is breaking off. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, now, there are issues going over like Europe. There's a lot of GPS uh, jamming going on, which we understand that causes a problem. And there are some areas in the world where the signals just aren't very good uh, uh, at all. But where, it is, where you see it right there, 
we ought to be bombarding all of South America, all of uh, North America, uh, even even some Asia right there. But uh, we're just not getting out right there. So I don't know. Uh, this guy has been a real uh, go uh, set. Uh, you know, uh, a, a set, it it's uh, it set some. Uh, uh, what do you? What, I, I can't think of the word. It has. It has progressed to where it has gone places that others have never gone, and it has uh, really uh, set a long period record of uh, flying. I, I hope it don't end after 440 days uh, uh, because the transmitter stops. From all indications that we're getting back there, everything's looking good on it. The altitude and everything's looking good. This thing could fly another year. But if we don't get reports back, we don't know it's flying. So tomorrow, we'll probably get another report. If not, in a couple of days, we'll get another report, I guess. So, you know, I don't know. Is this one with the circular photo cells? This one's actually, we call it W5KB113 Heavy. Uh, it's, it's, about, uh, it's about three times the weight that we normally fly. This one's up almost at uh, 18 grams. And... Uh, it actually has uh, uh, redundant uh, solar panels at 45 degree angles uh, to pick up uh, very low level sunlight at the horizon. Um, so I don't know what's going on here. This, this one does have a 100 milliwatt transmitter on it. It's a PA that we built and put on there. Um, we ought to be hearing it a lot more, but as long as it'll report to us every couple of days, uh, we're, we're we're happy with that. All right, so that's the update on 113 right there. Uh, okay, so hey, uh, Brett, you were wanting to talk to us. Is it about bonding and grounding, maybe? So what, what we're talking yes. about? Yeah, well, let's, yes, let's, well, let's uh, jump into that, man. Okay, well, last time I... Uh, this is a again a picture of me on the tower that I was on uh, that that I was on this week. Um, the picture is from earlier in the summer though, so you can see that you got this beautiful, brilliant sky behind me. It was not that way today; it was overcast. But uh, I'm checking everything for the winter, and one of the things I always check is the grounding and bonding, and that brings to mind what I'd like to talk about today, which is what do you do? There. At almost every ham fest, someone says something or gives some kind of a talk about grounding and bonding. But in practical terms, what do you as a ham most often need to know in order to do that? So I want to do is share my screen if I can. And I'll show oh. a really simple diagram of what most hams are going to need on their houses in order to have wait, proper wait bonding minute, and grounding. Wait a minute. I've got to turn on sharing. There we go. Okay. And there. All I'm seeing is your password to your bank account. Oh, there it is. Oh, okay. There we are. There okay. Is. Anyway, 
This is this picture shows what most people are going to have on their house, at least if it's a recently built house. Um, this is basically this is from the National Electrical Code. Uh, um, actually, this is modified a little bit by a fellow named Mike Holt, who uh, who who is part of the committee that uh, that makes the National Electrical Code. If you want to see the actual code. Um, you can go to nfpa.org and they now allow you to view parts of it for free. So you can log in and do that so you can actually read the entire section. Now, the National Electrical Code mostly talks about the high voltage electrical wiring for houses. And so uh, most of the information about grounding is in Chapter 2 of the code very early on, and it talks about how to ground the power for your house. And so this shows uh, th this shows uh, that it starts out by showing the electrical meter and your breaker panel and the ground wire that comes down out of your uh, out of your electrical meter. Every every home has to have a couple of ground rods, at least if it's at least if it's up to code. And so your system, you, you, this, the, the electrical system in your house is going to have a couple of ground rods that are bound, that are bonded to the uh, that, that are bounded bonded to the ground bus in your breaker panel. And if it's a newer one, it's also going to have something else. It is also going to have an, what's called an intersystem bonding connection, which is basically a bus bar that sits on the outside of your house, and it's designed for you to bond things to that you want to ground, other than the stuff inside your electrical system and this is very handy if you if, if you've got it on if you've got it on a house and again if, if it's recently constructed you do this is a, a very handy thing if you don't you can install one or you can just go ahead and clip right on to the uh, to the electrical system here and, I'll, and i will show a couple of devices that you can use to do that now this diagram um, so, so again, this diagram shows what's in chapter two, but then what the electrical code does is it all the way out at the far end of the book in chapter eight, they talk about what do you do with antennas? And they talk about uh, receiving stations and they talk about, uh, they, they talk a little bit about uh, satellite dishes and, ha and ham radio antennas. And uh, what they say there relates back to how you connect all of these things back to your main grounding system. Now, the first thing, the first thing you should know is that everything does need to be connected together. Um, don't get the idea that you should separate, somehow it imp will improve things by separating the grounds for your, uh, for, for your antenna system from the electrical system. All that will do is create potential different differences between your, uh, between your, your, your antennas and your electrical system and the path between those two can go through your equipment and blow it out. So you don't want that. You want everything bonded together. And that's what they talk about. Not only grounding, but also bonding. All of the grounds have to be connected to one another. Now, this diagram shows an antenna. It happens to be a satellite dish, but the principle is the same. It shows, the, it shows a little antenna mast. In this case, it's a J-mount attached to the side of the house. And it has a wire which is running back again to the uh, you know to, to that uh, to, to, to that uh, intersystem bonding termination, or again to one of the other grounded metal parts if you don't have this uh, this connector here. Now the rule: if you have an antenna mast on your house for a ham radio, you've got to ground it the same way. And basically, the rule is that it needs to be at least as thick as any conductor in the antenna. If you have a very thick, heavy antenna wire, you need to make it thicker. But it should also be a minimum of 10 gauge wire if it's copper or eight gauge wire if it's aluminum 
or for some reason, and I think the satellite companies lobbied for this, it may not really be the safest thing. You can go, if you have copper coated steel, you can go down the 17 gauge. And I think that's just because that's what they put in satellite cables. It may not be the safest thing. I'd probably go thicker anyway. Mm. Um, in any case, if you have a mast on top of your house, that's holding up a ham antenna of some kind, definitely do that. And again, I would recommend going with the, you know, at least the 10 gauge wire. If you can go for something thicker, by all means, do that. It doesn't, it never hurts to have it thicker, but you don't want to have it any thinner. Now, that goes back to your intersystem bonding connector, or again, back to, back to your, your main house ground. Now, the coax they show here goes around and down and comes back up into what they call an antenna discharge unit, which is basically a UL listed lightning protector. Now, uh, last week I showed some lightning protectors. Um, but none of the ones that I showed are UL listed, and therefore they wouldn't qualify to be this antenna discharge unit. Fortunately, the code makes an exception. It says you don't need the listed discharge unit so long as you have grounded the shields of the coax to the intersystem bonding connector, to your grounding system. And so that's really the thing to do. Go ahead and get a big, thick grounding bus plate and ground your, you know, ground your coax to that. And then you don't have to have the listed ones, which are really, they're really only made again for satellite dishes and for TV antennas. And then go ahead and put, put in one that's especially made for, for radio equipment, you know, such, such as your, your HF or VHF transceiver. And that will get you around that, that, that will get you around that, uh, around that requirement, or should I say it will satisfy that requirement and you'll be okay. Now over here, they also show the telephone system. For those of you who do have wired phones, those also have a lightning arrestor and a connector that goes back again to your, to your common system ground. So, that, uh, yeah, that, so that's the way everything gets connected together. Now, what if you have a tower? Now, if you have a tower, you're probably going to do more than this. If you have a tower, it's probably going to have, or it really should have, several ground rods coming off of it. And those ground rods should be separated by at least their length, they should be pounded into the ground, and you should have several of them. And they should, and and they should be, they should, you should have a wide ground field to make sure you get some some decent connectivity to the earth. But then they also need to be bonded back to this inter intersystem grounding termination. And uh, when you do that, you have to use at least six gauge wire, which is pretty thick. I actually go one thicker and I would normally use number four or even, you know, even bigger than that. The, the lower the number, the, the lower the gauge number, of course, the thicker the wire. And uh, so what you do is you take the, you take the tower and the ground rods that go with it and run a wire, bury it, you know, so you don't trip over it, bring it back to the house along with your coax and attach it to this same bonding connector and you should be okay. Now, uh, the other thing, the, the the other thing you should understand is that uh, if you disconnect your radio, and we were talking about this a little bit before 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 the webcast started, make sure that if you disconnect it from your radio, you don't disconnect it from its ground, because if you don't keep your coax grounded, you've got something there which can spark over and still cause a lot of damage, and uh, you you certainly you certainly don't want that. Now, if I can terminate sharing here, if I can figure out uh, where I do that on this screen. Let me see if I can. I will show you some of the devices that you use to, to do all of this uh, grounding and bonding. Let me see. Down at the bottom center, maybe? 
I'm clicking on where it says sharing. You should see a turn off sharing, I think. I'm looking for it. On my multiple display, there's a share screen button right on the bottom. Yeah, and it disappears when you share, so I need to figure out where it went. <laughs> Let's see. It's probably going to be up at the top of the screen, then. I think that's where it goes. Mm -hmm. I'm looking. Let's see. It doesn't say end sharing. You know what? I might be able just to do a hocus pocus. Uh, you may, you I, may be able to... I might be able to do some magic. And, and, uh, and I, may I found click, it. Uh, I, I, found I, it. I, did, I brought I you in. I moved my cursor up to the top of the screen and the stop sharing button appeared at the bottom where I wasn't looking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why. So anyway, here we are. Here, here we are. Now, when you want to attach your, your ground wire to your electrical system, again, if you've got an older house, if it was even built like before the you know, 1990s, it may not have that really nice inter-system bonding connector. So how do you connect the grounding wires? Well, I've had to deal with this a lot because I'm a wireless internet service provider and I have to ground all, all those antenna masks for that. And so I have some hardware, which is really good for that. Here's an example of one thing you can use. This is a little triangular clip, which can go around the edge of the electrical panel, either the meter can or the, uh, or the breaker box. And you tighten this screw down and it tightens it snug against the middle. And then you can put a wire under the nut, which is here, uh, again, if you can take a look here, there's, mm -hmm. there's a, a nut which comes down, and this will tighten the wire on, and then you've got a place to put a grounding wire. There's another clamp, which you can also use, which is called the California clamp, because I guess the, uh, the state of California likes, likes you to use this one. And this has three screws and a little lip which goes around the edge of the box, and this is also, uh, also a clip that you can use to connect to your electrical panel or your meter cap. It's kind of the shape. It's kind of the shape of California. Actually, look at it. Yeah, kind of. You're right. Yeah, yeah kind of. Yeah. And then finally, what if you live in a mobile home? Uh, if you live in a mobile home, you've got a pedestal, uh, you know, or even a modular. You might have a pedestal outside with your electrical meter and then the wire runs under. Uh, there's no meter can right on the mobile home that you can use to attach. And so, the, the uh, and this and again this is I bought this from a company that uh, that supplies satellite installers. There's a little clip here that also has a you know also has a place uh, a couple of washers under which you can put a wire. That's called a trailer clamp. And what you do is you get underneath your your trailer or your modular, and you scrape some of the paint off one of the metal beams that runs under the bottom, and then you tighten this around that, and it clamps down and gives you a good connection. And because the way trailers are built, the code says that those metal, those metal beams across the bottom have to be grounded. Then you've got a ground, which is, which is the equivalent of a house ground. And so if you do one of those things, then you can ground your, your antennas, you can ground in, or you can ground your coax, you can ground your electrical equipment, you can make things safe. And so that's, in practical terms, what most hams have to do. There are a lot of more complicated requirements that you might, that you might encounter. Um, but, uh, you know, there, there, are, uh, um, in particular, let in, in particular, there, are, you know, there, there are all sorts of, of fancy requirements for certain special situations, but that's 99% of what you need to know. And so that's, uh, 
again, that's that's pretty much what I have for today. Um, if there are questions in the chat, let me look. I can go ahead and answer those. Uh, let's see if we got any. I didn't see any questions, but you know, uh, yeah. you're talking about you're talking about uh, bonding, and the reason it's it's important to kind of bond them together is to reduce that uh, put that potential difference. It can be. Uh, you know, there's a lot of cattle that get killed every year. Lightning hits the ground somewhere and it kills cattle. Well, it's not because the lightning struck them. It's because it traveled through the ground and I guess up one leg and through the body and down the other leg. And, uh, hey, I don't know if you've done this, but I've even in lightning storms, I've stood on one foot out there. Well, I've, I've been yeah. zapped by lightning when I, was, yeah. when I was on the telephone, on an old-fashioned wireline telephone and lightning struck nearby and it zapped me right through the phone line oh yeah yeah so uh that that definitely yeah. well you know you're you talking wanna... about the national electrical code guys look to show you how how close how up to date i am look, <laughs> that's how that's how i'm up to date right there guys but uh there's a lot in here there's 800 pages 800 pages in this one i don't know what the new book is but uh hey there it is, and uh, it's in writing, and uh, a lot well, has gone into this. There's also a pocket version that's shorter and just summarizes some of the important points that uh, electricians often often carry. Uh, Brett, do you want to discuss the difference between bonding and grounding? Because it, it, is, it is in the electrical code. Boy, well, it's, it's really, it's, people make a, a big fuss about it, make it really complicated. Grounding means connecting it to uh, connecting things to your, uh, to your ground system. And bonding means connecting all those things together is basically it in one sense. And it don't have separate grounding systems. Um, you can have multiple ground rods. You can have multiple, you can have a fancy multi-point grounding system, but in the end, everything has to be bonded together for it to be safe because otherwise you can get, uh, you can get potential differences as Tom was mentioning between one part and another. And that's when you can really get into trouble. Yeah. Everything has to go back to that inner system bond. Everything in your station goes back, back to that. Yeah. All right, here's, here's a question. I don't even know. I've never heard of this. Furbo, F-R-B-O. You know what they're talking about? Furbo? Could sure you use, what... let's see. Now, now, now what about Furbo? Do you ground for that? I have no idea what that is. Bert, what the? I'm betting uh, well, it's fiber. It, it, oh, well, I don't know. Oh. oh. Did he mean fiber? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm thinking it's fiber. Hmm. Yeah, fi well, fiber is not conductive by itself. You do have a little bit of uh, you do have a little bit of copper equipment there, but yeah. you you know, but but there's you you don't have to worry about <clears throat> the fiber itself because well, it doesn't conduct. Yeah, that's yeah. what that's what he's talking about. Yeah, and and you want to, Brett? Also, do you want to mention the Ufer ground? Um, well, that's one kind of ground that you that you may have in your house <clears throat> as a ground rod that will go basically an Ufer is um, a piece of rebar that's usually inserted into your concrete foundation and because it uh, it, it you know your concrete foundation is uh, you know is often in contact with the water table that makes a real good ground um in the old only back in the olden days when we used copper for everything you also ground to a copper water pipe and there's still a requirement in the code that says if you got a copper water pipe coming into your house, that's one of the things you need to connect into your grounding system. Nowadays, though, people use PEX, and so there really isn't a uh, there, there there really isn't a copper water pipe to ground to anymore. So you don't have to you don't have to bond that obviously if it's plastic. 
but uh, it's a but you know if you find that but but one thing that you do have to do is if you if you do have copper pipes and you have a water heater you have to bond across the water heater from the hot water pipe to the cold water pipe to make yeah. sure that those are connected you don't want with you don't wind up with a hot water pipe that's floating and not connected to the ground system yeah the um, <clears throat> roof for ground is a number four rebar or larger bent in the shape of an L and it's tied to the rebar uh, before they pour uh, in the footing and it sticks up. I forget how many inches, uh, six, eight, 10 inches. And then it goes into uh, up the wall to a box. It's in the wall usually. Um, and that's where your inner system bond is. Uh, that's where everything is tied into that into that box so some for some folks it's going to be hidden in that box and the only way you could do it is those clips that you have really um for a lot of things because you can't get access to some of these things and many houses will have one who for ground <clears throat> houses today will have what is it two driven rods brett is that uh, these days you will have at least two grid yes and that's a good picture two driven rods you will have two driven rods at least their lengths apart on the outside of your house and then oh, you know, that's right. yeah. nice, nice thick wire running back to the, uh, to the meter. Now, if you want to clip into that, um, don't just take it and, you know, take your wire and wrap it around it. I've seen people do that. It, uh, you know, it's not very effective and it gets, you know, it can get corroded. Use a proper pressure connector uh, like this. This is a, uh, you know, this is a split bolt and this will connect, this will connect two thick copper wires together really well. And uh, this is th this is what I use when I'm when I'm connecting things to the wire on the outside, and I don't have that nice intersystem bonding connector at all, or I'm connecting someplace where it isn't nearby. Cool. Yeah. So I'm just looking to see if we have any uh, if we have any questions in the chat. Okay. Well, somebody mentioned the uh, plastic ground rod. I I have a picture there, plastic ground rod. So. Yeah. Oh, what? Oh. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's see. Yeah, there's a, there's a question in the chat. My service is at the opposite end of the house from my station and tower. And yeah, that often happens and it's not convenient. Just use a nice thick wire. No matter how inconvenient <clears throat> it is to get a wire from one end to the other, the electrical code does require it. And, uh, you know, so go ahead and run it. If you don't think that, uh, you know, if you, if you think that it's not going to be a good ground because you have to run it a long way, go up to number two <laughs> wire, um, go up to, you know, or you use number two copper braid, but make sure you do connect everything together because otherwise there will be a potential difference between the grounds in your electrical sockets and uh, the grounds in your, in, in the rest of your system. And again, you can get, uh, you, you or your equipment can get zapped. Now, here's an interesting ground right here. Um, Let's have a look at that. Well, if, if you can see that, yeah. Can you, what the heck is it? Can you make it out? I mean, I'll just blow it up a little bit more for you. <laughs> yes, well, it looks like what you've got there is a plastic cover over your inter-system inter bonding connector. Now, Underneath now, that... You oh, oh. or you're going. You're going to have the bus bar that I was talking about before. Yeah, yeah. All right, I got to find a better picture for that. Let's see. Yeah. If you, if you see that on the outside, if you see that you know that little white cover or something like it on the outside of a house, that means you have the connector. You just have to pull the cover off. 
I'm sure I'm sure we can find pictures of uh, what's underneath there. <clears throat> At the station, it's important to not daisy chain. What you're saying, Brett, is not to daisy chain the equipment, but to run it all to a common point ground. So you can have a bus bar at your desk or something and then connect a wire to that to run to to become the ground conductor to grounding see i said it the bonding conductor to the ground conductor so each piece of equipment has its own strap to ground or its own wire to ground so they are they're all at the same potential so they all kind of rise and fall so you don't daisy chain them because you'll have a, a differential voltage between one box and another, right, Brett? Yes, and I don't know if Tom can find a picture of it, but uh, what I have under my desk in my shack is a very large copper-plated copper plated metal grounding plate, which has lots of holes in it that I can use that, that I can use to bolt things to um, to. And I I put my I put my lightning uh, I put my lightning protectors on there, and all of the wires that go on to ground my radios all go back to that. And then that has a very thick wire that goes out, out of the shack and <clears throat> to the basement where it connects to the, uh, the ground bus on the electrical panel, which is one of the places where you are allowed to ground things. So um, if, you find, if you want to find out where those places are that you're allowed to attach, if you're not near that intersystem bonding connector, you don't have one. Um, it's chapter, it, it, it is paragraph 250 dot, 10, I think, of the National Electrical Code. Um, it's very early on, and it, it gives you a list of places where you can connect to the grounding system safely. I thought it was 250.10, paragraph B. Yeah, my, I don't remember what, I think, I think the whole section. Kind there, of how, how you like that ground rod right there? Oh, there you go. That's a real effect. Oh, it's in the earth. <laughs> that, that grounds the generator. That grounds the generator right there. So, yeah. But in any case, you know, be safe. And, uh, uh, you know, there, there was no shortage of information out on the web about yeah. things. And, and Tom, Tom Holt, I've talked to him on the phone a couple of times. He's uh, great. I said that right, didn't it? It's Tom Holt. I, it, I didn't make the mistake. I think it's Mike Holt. Yeah, Mike Holt. Okay, that's that, that's why it was... He is a great resource. He has a lot of videos, a lot of written material. I, I've talked to him on the phone. Uh, he thinks ham radio operators are kind of crazy because we put up all these antennas and things. But um, uh, he's a great resource. If you need to find out about bonding or grounding or something electrical, he, he's a tremendous resource. Um, yes. And he is one of the major contributors to the National Electrical Code. He's there yeah. at all of the NFPA meetings. Yeah, he, he knows the code inside and out. It's just amazing. He also does sell instructional videos if you go to MikeHolt.com. Yeah. Uh, when I, uh, there's no such thing as an RF ground, but uh, this room, um, I've got everything bonded together. And so I was looking for a way to get to the electrical panel like you're talking about, Brett. And I went up into the attic, and son of a gun, there's a one-inch copper pipe right above my head that runs all the way to the electrical panel, and it's, it branches off for other stuff. So all I had to do was connect to that. The other end of it's already connected to the inner system bond. So 
sometimes you get lucky and you have things like that that are available. Maybe up in the attic or below the floor, uh, nose around, see what you can find. Yep. And that's what the, that's the same thing you do with the trailer. If you have something at the far end of a trailer or a modular, which has, uh, you know, again, there'll, there'll be there'll be steel beams under holding up the floor. Mm -hmm. Any point on that is going to be electri electrically connected to your electrical system. And it's uh, it's fine to ground to that. So that's that, a, that's a pretty big conductor. Yeah, and in a metal, in a metal building, if you if you happen to have a you know if you have a metal industrial building, you know a lot a lot of a lot of people have their man their their man cave is an entire building. If you're lucky enough to have one of those, a deluxe man cave, uh, then all you really need to do is bond to the structural steel, and you should be okay. All right. Well, thank you for telling us. Uh all the ins and outs of bonding or grounding there yeah and again you know they give um every year at um at, at uh, dx university and various other things they you know they they will they, you know they will cover that i think what, what what is the one that they have at dayton is it dx university or uh, something like that oh um a series of something, series of something university yeah in any case, they have they are they they will always have sessions on that. You can also find sessions online. There's tons of information about this. I'm just summarizing. Mm -hmm. Okay, I was looking for more grounding pictures here. All right. Well, guys, thank you uh, for everything tonight. Uh, I think we've had a pretty good show. A lot of good information. And uh, we are not going to have a <clears throat> contest university is what it's called. <clears throat> uh. <clears throat> Thank you, Dwayne. <clears throat> so, guys, we're not going to have a show uh, the day after Christmas or the day after New Year. We're going to take that off. And uh, uh, Jim may or may not be with us uh, our next show. Jim is going to start some, uh, some uh, uh, chemotherapy, I think, uh, early January. And we wish you good luck with that. I'm not looking forward to it. <laughs> yeah, I, I I know. I know. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway, we wish you good luck on that, Jim, and uh, hope, uh, hope everything comes out and works out okay for you there. And uh, let's see. My, my Zoom is messed up now. Let's see. Remove. Uh, okay. I can't un I, I can't change my zoom now. Let's see. High nine, high nine. Yeah. That's not gonna be it. I need to take me a lesson on Zoom, you know? Full screen. Gallery. There's gallery. And I want speaker, but it doesn't work right. Oh well. Show's about over anyway, so Brett the Brett broke it when he was talking. Yeah. Hmm. What a mess. Oh, sorry, what, a, what a mess. What a mess. Huh. All right, guys, so we're going to go ahead and close the show down tonight. It's about 930, and um, it's time for popcorn. So uh, good night, and let's see. Uh, we'll have – well, we have one more show between now and Christmas, I guess. Yeah. Next Tuesday night, Christmas is coming soon, so uh, – 
Guys, uh, I hope everybody gets all the the Christmas toys they want and all the radios and all those kind of things. So we'll uh, we'll say good night to you and send me three, and we'll see you see you next week and send me three to everybody in the chat room there. Glad you're with us tonight. Thank you. So you're saying I can ask this cat any question? The cat is connected to the computer. You just type in the question. Well, Jim, good luck with the chemo. It's, I know some people who've gone through it, and it's it's never easy, but it's necessary. I, I had five. Uh...
Look at me Gliding through this world of beauty Everything I do brings ecstasy
All right. We're going to get this thing started here.